This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Wasn't it interesting to see the President of the United States have a rally of about 10,000 people in Georgia after the presidential election, but before the inauguration of we don't know who yet? And I'm, I'm not calling Joe Biden president-elect, and you can't make me. So, yeah, yeah. No, honestly, it was quite amazing, if you think about it, the fact that this big loser in the presidential election could get 10,000 people to come out when it was in the 40s and low 50s uh, and, and stand there for as long as they did is quite significant as opposed to his opponent who couldn't get 25 people in a parking lot, but we're supposed to believe that he was just the landslide winner. So it continues. And if there was any doubt at all what President Trump would say about whether or not Republicans should vote in the January 5th runoff election for the Senate, then he has dispelled all notions. He is very much urging Georgia voters to get out and vote and talked a little bit about this. This is cut one. We built the greatest military in the world, and the better it is, the less likely it is that we're going to have to use it. But everything that we've achieved together is on the line on June 5th. In this election, you can send a message to the fake news media, and there's a lot of them right back there. And they'll find something wrong with this evening. I don't know what it is. But they'll find something wrong. Maybe it was the person that shouted love. They'll say it was a horrible protester. They'll find something, Kelly and David. They're going to find something. They're looking to having a hard time. It's been a love fest. This is a love fest for these two people. But they all want the Silicon Valley censors and the corrupt Democrat political machine. They're partners. You must vote for David Perdue and Kelly Leffler. Go out and vote. He meant January 5th, not June 5th, but he does have a lot on his mind, so we'll give him a little bit of a pass. Kelly Leffler, of course, is facing the Democrat challenger Raphael Warnock, and Purdue is facing John Ossoff, the Democrat, in this runoff on January 5th. And it's very interesting to me how... President Trump kind of, you know, dealt with this when he was talking about it, because Lynn Wood, who's been fighting vociferously to try to get the justice that is deserved in this election and and deal with all of this fraud and all of these extra ballots and so forth. He was the one, along with Sidney Powell, who had recently called for Georgians to sit out the election because they said you shouldn't be having a runoff at all. We can't trust the machines. We can't trust the system. This is completely true. But not voting 
would mean that the Democrats will be ushered in. Now you have complete Democrat control, potentially, of the entire federal government. And we know what happens when that goes down. And considering what just went down in the course of the presidential election, preceded by the previous four years of attacking President Trump baselessly and trying to drive him out of office by every means possible, why in the world would you trust these people at all? At all. I don't trust these people at all. But he did get around criticizing Lynn Wood. And he talked about the fact that it is, you know, the fact that he has a lot of friends who are great people. They're real friends. They have a different point of view, but we have to vote. We have to vote. He said, we can't do that. We can't do that. We have to do just the opposite. If you don't vote, the socialists and the communists win. They win. And he's right. I think he's absolutely right. Now, something else that was very interesting. Before I get to this, I want to play another cut here because I I really liked this cut. There's not a lot of meat in it per se about information, but I just liked it. I want you to listen to this cut too. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield. We will never give in. We will never give up and we will never back down. We will never, ever surrender because we are Americans and our hearts bleed red, white and blue. I just like that. I just like that. I love hearing that. That brings tears to my eyes when I hear that. It was a little bit Winston Churchill ask if Winston Churchill had been an American. Never, 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 never give up. Never, never stop fighting. Never stop fighting. Isn't that really the embodiment of the American spirit? When you're faced with tyranny, you fight for your liberty. And who knows what the days ahead will hold for those of us who want to preserve liberty as it has been handed down to us. Now, turning to another development, this is quite interesting. Jenna Ellis, who's also part of the Trump team legal uh, legal group, uh, was on Fox News yesterday saying that their team was able to go in and begin forensic examination of the Dominion machines in Michigan. And I guess this is going to take about 48 hours, so we don't yet know what's going on. But Ellis was referring to a ruling from a judge in Antrim County, Michigan, who authorized the audit of 22 Dominion voting systems machines. This is something that the now COVID-19 sufferer, Rudy Giuliani, has said previously. And the Epic Times says it's not clear which of the several election lawsuits the order originated from. But again, and this is important. The Michigan GOP last month vote noted, I should say, that voting machines in Antrim County incorrectly switched 6,000 votes from Trump to Joe Biden. The Secretary of State's office said it was due to a technical error and non-updated software. Well, we'll find out. So that's a little bit of a hopeful sign. I wanted, though, but turn very quickly. If you hadn't heard what Joe Biden had to say at the tail end of last week with Jake Tapper, you need to hear this. And the only reason I'm playing this is because I recognize a lot of people didn't necessarily hear this, didn't necessarily watch this. And you need to hear this. Do you remember Joe Biden talking before the election about having the most extensive voter fraud organization in the history of politics? And everybody said, (laughs) gaff prone, Joe, it's just hilarious. It's more Joe, more typical stuff. Listen to what he said. He was on with Kamala Harris being interviewed by Jake Tapper over on ABC News. Listen to what he said. Listen very closely, especially toward the end. This is cut three. The thing we are simpatico on our philosophy of government and simpatico on how we want to attach, approach these issues that we're facing. And so I don't have and 
When we disagree, it'll be just like it's so far. It's been just like when Barack and I did. It's in private. She'll say, I think we should do A, B, C or D. And I'll say, I don't I like A, don't like B and C. Mm-hmm. And let's go. OK. But and I like I told Barack, if 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 I reach something where there's a, a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll uh, I'll, 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 I'll I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. Wait a second. Yeah, he just really said that. That was not doctored audio. That's what he actually said. And Jake Tapper did not press him on this. Why didn't Jake Tapper want him to elaborate and explain a little bit more? Well, we all know why. Think about this for a moment. If Joe Biden actually said to Barack Obama, if we have a moral disagreement, I'll develop a disease and resign. That in and of itself is weird. But at least in that scenario, if that occurred, you don't have to develop a disease in order to resign. I mean, really. But that was a situation in which he was the number two guy. Then he goes on to say, if he and Kamala have a disagreement, he will come up with the disease and resign. It's almost like this is the stuff that's being discussed behind closed doors. But Joe doesn't have the mental capacity to understand that you don't say it when you get in front of a microphone. And you can just almost hear his team behind the scenes screaming, no, don't say that. You know what I think? This is my opinion. I think Kamala is who Obama wanted. That's who I think Obama wanted. And Kamala couldn't get any ground when she was running for president herself. But I think Obama likes her for various reasons. She is more progressive than Joe Biden. She is, you know, she's got the racial narrative and the, the, the racial animus going on. And I think he likes that because that's right up his alley. She's super far left progressive. He likes that. Is that the plan? I mean, now he said that he tripped over a mat when he was trying to pull his dog's tail and that's how he hurt his foot. And people are scratching their heads and saying, what? And then some video came out where he wasn't even wearing the boot anymore. I, nothing is making sense. Nothing, which means Joe Biden needs to be interviewed even more often because the more often you get this guy in front of the cameras and in front of the microphones, the more likely it is that he'll slip up and tell us all what he's being told behind the scenes. Don't you think that's a possibility? And then he'll say, yeah, I'm going to resign on January 30th. Wait a minute. What? I am getting a disease on January 29th. I got to step down in just a few days. Incredible. We're going to come back on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn currently has seven centers without ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost $15,000, more than most centers can afford. But right now, through a matching grant, your donation of $7,500 will place a machine in a needy women's center in your area. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. 
Open enrollment is here, and choosing a health care program is an important decision for you and your family. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. You can find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, let's play catch up a little bit on this Supreme Court ruling, which was just fantastic. You'll recall that not too long ago, I think a couple of weeks back, the Supreme Court did something great, handing the Roman Catholic Diocese, I believe it was of Brooklyn, and also some Jewish synagogues, a big victory over the discriminatory COVID-19 restrictions on indoor services. And the majority, 5-4, including our new best friend, Amy Coney Barrett, declared that even in a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be put away and forgotten. And when that ruling was handed down, all Christians said, yay, this is fantastic. But it still left open the question of how the Supreme Court would deal with what is going on in California. And as you know, from the very beginning of this pandemic, California churches have been trying to get justice and trying to get their First Amendment freedoms back from the tyrant, Gavin Newsom. Well, now this has come down. The Supreme Court has told the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to reevaluate a federal lawsuit that was filed by Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena in light of the New York decision. So they've gone back to California, in essence, this Court of Appeals and said, we're siding against Newsom. You guys have to go look at this again. And you have to examine this in light of our most recent decision regarding what's been going on in New York. Fantastic, right? This is absolutely wonderful. And I'm, I'm so happy to see it because this is exactly what we need from the U.S. Supreme Court. Harvest Rock Church, as the California Family Council has pointed out, has multiple campuses throughout California. And the city of Pasadena was threatening them with criminal charges and fines and closure for being open for worship. And yet, of course, the laundromats and the liquor stores and the big box businesses all could be open. So they're fine. They're essential. You people have to close down. Now, according to this most recent Supreme Court decision, Neil Gorsuch had some good things to say. He said, government is not free to disregard the First Amendment in times of crisis. At a minimum, that amendment prohibits government officials from treating religious exercises worse than comparable secular activities unless they are pursuing a compelling interest in using the least restrictive means available. Yet recently, during the COVID pandemic, certain states seem to have ignored these long-settled principles. Yes, we've noticed. It's wonderful to see the Supreme Court finally saying that. So what happened after this was this ruling came down? Well, this is from Newsweek. Here's the headline. Newsom issues stricter COVID measures after Supreme Court tells judges to review California limits on places of worship. Under his new lockdown announcement, religious institutions would be limited to outdoor services only. 
I guess he's playing chicken, but as far as I'm concerned, you're not going to win the game of chicken. If the Supreme Court has already ruled like this, you're going to lose, Newsom. And the Ninth Circuit ain't what it used to be because we have had a, a number of conservatives now put on that Circuit Court of Appeals, and it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get all of your progressive dreams coming true, uh, relying on the Ninth Circuit. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll see what happens with that. Now, meanwhile, I was wondering how the Supreme Court decision would affect what's going on in Kentucky, because as you know, the Kentucky governor, Andy Beshear, had ruled that the in-person classes at religious schools had to be halted. And there were a whole host of churches or schools, I should say, who were fighting back against this. And then Justice Kavanaugh late last week gave Bashir a limited amount of time to respond. And on Friday, he responded to this request that the U.S. Supreme Court hear a legal challenge of his executive order shutting down in-person learning at the state's religious schools. His legal counsel argued that the high court should reject the Attorney General Daniel Cameron's request to review the case, in effect upholding a ruling from a federal appeals court that said the executive order is a legal response to the pandemic and cannot be plausibly read to contain even a hint of hostility toward religion because it applies to both public and private schools. Uh, We'll see how that goes. This is via WDRB, by the way. But it's kind of significant for you to know that the U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and also Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky announced they are joining 36 Republican colleagues to submit a brief to the Supreme Court in support of Cameron's legal challenge. So pray for that particular thing. It's going to be very important that we get our religious liberty back from these tyrants. Enough is enough. Uh, And speaking of which... I got to bring this to you too. This just, this doesn't surprise me, but it just irks me. There was an online conference held by good old Dr. Russell Moore, the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission at the Southern Baptist Convention. He who has lifted a finger to do virtually nothing, nothing to support religious liberty of churches, particularly in California, who have been fighting to get together and neglecting not the assembly together of believers. Uh, And Russell Moore has been, you know, I don't know what he's playing his guitar and playing Johnny Cash records. Seriously, he's done virtually nothing. The only time he really kind of came out from behind the shadows to talk about religious liberty was when Mark Dever's church started fighting back. And he's a progressive, so... Uh, at least a registered Democrat. So he was he was good with with Devers fight in Washington, D.C. to get his church lifted, uh, those restrictions lifted on his church. At that point, Russell Moore cared. But before that, he couldn't have cared less about anybody. So he had this online conference featuring Dr. Francis Collins, the National Institutes of Health director. And according to The Blaze, Collins asked churches across America to do the altruistic loving thing and close down or stay closed down amid the coronavirus pandemic. He issued a nationwide plea to religious leaders urging them to close their churches. What just, seriously? Oh, but he's a regular churchgoer. Don't forget, he's a really, really devoted churchgoer. Collins said the virus is having a wonderful time right now, taking advantage of circumstances where people have let their guard go down. Churches gathering in person is a source of considerable concern and has certainly been an instance where super spreading has happened and could happen again. You know what? I still challenge that that narrative because I did an article, as you'll recall, maybe a month or so ago, talking about all the times the media has accused churches of super spreader events absent any evidence of it. 
Now, sometimes you've had certain health departments say we were concerned about the number of cases coming out of this church. And there might have been some instances where they backed this up with data. But by and large, the media just ran with every single accusation that a church was doing a super spreader event. And that bugs me because I actually do care about data and I do care about truth and I do care about facts and I don't want super spreader events, but it's just been amazing to me that pretty much the only super spreader events that the media has reported on have come from either churches or conservative gatherings. You know, the BLM protests, no problem whatsoever. But if you have a Trump rally, they're spreading COVID. Give me a break. So he's calling churches to be shut down, even as the Supreme Court says this is unconstitutional. I mean, just keep this in mind. Not only that, you have all of this data. This is coming out. We've been reporting on this for a long time, but every single day seems to bring more news to back this up on how masks don't work. He talked about masks and he was saying, oh, don't consider the mask issue a political statement. It's not a political statement. It will protect you. Well, not according to the studies that have been done. The Denmark study that just came out, landmark study, this thing was extremely rigorous. And it showed that your little flimsy mask that you're throwing on your face to go into Walmart or go into your grocery store is basically useless. And they did a controlled study of all this. It's basically useless. There are 12 graphs here that the Federalist highlighted showing mask mandates do nothing to stop COVID. And can't you see, look at California. Look at some of these European countries if you want to look at some of the data on that. But look at California. Look at Hawaii. These very, very strict lockdowns, these very, very strict mask mandates. Has it stopped COVID from spreading? No. You have all of these cases now cropping up again in California. Well, if lockdowns didn't work before, and if masks didn't work before, why are you submitting to this, California? And why in the world do you continue to accept emergency health mandates from the governor without the legislature weighing in? We're not in March anymore. We're in December, for crying out loud. That's a whole nother show. But now the CDC is issuing its strongest mask guidance during the COVID-19 pandemic, calling for universal mask wearing in all activity outside of one's home. Okay, right. And uh, that's not going to happen. It's just, it's not going to happen. It doesn't make any difference. It's not scientific. I enjoyed, by the way, if I can fit this in, I just enjoyed this exchange. Andrew Ross Sorkin is a host over on CNBC. And Rick Santelli, you remember the famous guy who pretty much kicked off the Tea Party movement, CNBC editor. Uh, They had a really interesting exchange over the COVID-19 restrictions. And the guy yelling is Santelli. And the guy trying to calm him down with science is Andrew Sorkin. But I found this Kind of interesting. This is cut six. Can't tell me that shutting down, which is the easiest answer, is necessarily the only answer. Rick, I just, I, I just as, a, as a as a public health and public service announcement uh, for the audience, the difference wait, between wait, a big all, box retailer. Who is this? Hold on. The difference between <clears throat> it's Andrew. The different the difference between a big box retailer and a restaurant, or frankly, even a a church, are. So different, it's unbelievable. Going I disagree. Into a big box retailer, I disagree. You're wear- I disagree. You're wearing you can a mask. have your thoughts and I you're can have mine. You're required to wear a mask. I disagree. I, it's science. I'm sorry. It's science. If it's you're wearing a mask, science. it's a different story. 500 people in a Lowe's aren't any safer than 150 people in a restaurant that holds 600. I don't believe it. Sorry. Don't believe okay. it. And I you, live in an area don't... where there's a lot of restaurants that have fought back and they don't have any problems. And they're open. Okay. You don't have to believe it. 
But let me just say this. You're doing a I disservice to I the won't. viewer because the viewers need to you understand it. You are doing it. a disservice we, we are to the viewer. You are. You are. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If, 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 I, I would like to keep our viewers as healthy as humanly possible. The idea of packing people into yeah. restaurants. I think our viewers are smart enough to make part of those decisions on their completely own. Different I don't things. think that I'm much smarter different than all the viewers like some people do. It's incredible, isn't it? Right. Packing people into a restaurant versus packing people into a Walmart or a Best Buy, completely different things. Because COVID knows when you enter a big box store, you need to stay on the threshold and not go in and infect people. COVID knows. Oh, COVID knows these things. Is it ever a time when we can assert our self-autonomy to self-regulate and say, if I feel vulnerable, if I have an underlying health condition, if I'm elderly, I will stay home. I don't want to go out to these places. I'll get someone else to shop for me and let everybody else live their lives. You think we could regulate ourselves at any point? We, the people, remember that? I don't know. We're going to come back. Stay with us. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. 1 Corinthians 9.24 asks, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. This is one of many passages in Scripture that talk about the race that we're in as Christians and encourage us to persevere in order to cross that finish line at the end of a life that is lived for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, often we think about the race as just ours, but in fact, we can look all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and see that the race we're in also is one that's in many senses also a relay race, one in which the baton of faith has been passed down from generation to generation. How can that both challenge and encourage us today, especially when it comes to evangelism. We're going to tackle that today with George Shamblin, who serves as pastor with the Center for Executive Leadership, and he's also an adjunct professor at Birmingham Theological Seminary. He's out with a new book called The Relay, Passing Along Your Faith in the Race to Save Christianity from Extinction. George, great to have you with us. How are you today? I am really good, and this is incredibly exciting. Thank you so much for including me today. Oh, it's our honor to have you here. Let's talk about this. What are some of your concerns about the state of Christianity right now, especially in the United States? Okay, you you just did a blog that was talking about freedom, um, communism, and Big Eva's betrayal. Yes. And it's just, it's so scary right now that the fundamentals of our faith have just come under attack and in the past, we assumed that because a church at one point stood for the Bible and the Word of God, that's still the case. And right now we're learning, you know, who's standing firm, who is falling by the wayside. I think that the biggest obstacle right now is for us as believers to stand firm on the one thing, and that is the true, enduring, and living Word of God. 
Amen. Well, thank you. I appreciate your bringing that up because it really encourages me that you share the same concerns in many respects that I do. We're living in a very different period of time, it seems, than a time that I can remember before ever happening. You know, we we always kind of look to our evangelical leaders as being sound and solid and they would do what we always expected they would do, which is stand on the word of God. These are kind of shifting sands, it seems, for a lot of Christians I'm talking to. They're saying, what is going on with us? Why aren't we a stronger voice as a church, especially at a moment in time like the one we're living through? Yeah, I think the biggest concern that I have is Christians are really quiet right now. Mm. It's kind of scary that uh, this, to me, Janet, is the scariest word picture in the entire world, and it would be if you and me and other Bible-believing Christians were going about our day, and all of a sudden the stones started preaching the gospel Mm. because we were quiet. In other words, we've got to be preaching and teaching. Christians are so quiet right now. And you, you may remember the passage I'm talking about where the Pharisees were telling Jesus, they said, tell your disciples not to say what they're saying. And Jesus said, if they are quiet, the stones will cry out. I don't want that to happen on my watch, and I know what you stand for is not going to happen on yours either. Amen. Well, that that's a really convicting passage that you brought up about the rocks crying out, and it's true. I mean, God's truth remains God's truth, whether or not we are talking about it or whether or not we're standing for Jesus Christ, but that's why we're here. We're to be his ambassadors. So talk a little bit about this race, because I mentioned earlier that we are all in that race. Scripture talks a lot about it, but you are right. This really is a relay race. We have to keep passing that baton. It goes all the way back to Adam. Can you talk a little bit about why the relay is important when we're looking at this moment? Of course. I'm really kind of shocked that this has become such a popular mantra among Christians. You've heard it. Most of your listeners have probably heard it. When people say Christianity isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. That's really not biblical. Christianity is more of a long-distance relay. We have to pass off the faith. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, be a Christian, retreat off by yourself, don't interact with others, don't be in community, fellowship, church, don't worry about winning others for the gospel. That's not true. Well, I started thinking, wait a minute, the the Christian faith is more like a long-distance relay that if you and I and other believers aren't constantly passing off the faith, even more specifically the baton, which the book is going to say is the Word of God, if we're not passing off the actual Scriptures, the Word of God, it takes one generation, like in Judges, that says there arose a generation after Joshua who did not know the Lord. One generation who did not know the Lord or the things he had done in Israel. We can't let the same happen with us. Amen. That's right. So going back to some of these key figures, and obviously there are many we could talk about, but you highlight a few of them in your book who I think are worth mentioning. The first being Adam. Now, it's kind of funny because here Adam is the one who originally got us all into trouble by taking that fruit, <laughs> listening to Eve, and they, they ate the fruit they shouldn't have eaten. And, and, and we've been in trouble ever since. We've all inherited his sin nature. What about Adam's role in the relay race? How do you see it in retrospect? Because he he did blow it in a big way, and yet the Lord was there to continue to pass down that baton. Okay, I'm about to start coming out of my shoes because this was the most exciting class I took 
in seminary years ago, we had a professor that just locked in on Genesis chapter 3. I think we spent weeks on just the first 10 or 15 verses. And Adam's responsibility was very clear. He was a lawgiver. God gave him a very clear command that he could eat to his heart's desire in the garden, but there was one thing he couldn't do, eat from the one tree. And so in Genesis chapter 3, if you kind of start studying it, and this is very relative to today, I think it's Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, Eve is going to, she's going to pull back some of the force and the power of God's Word. She's going to kind of minimize the Word. We could almost say that's liberalism. Yep. The next verse, she starts adding a prohibition. That's legalism. Adam is standing beside her the whole time, male passivity at its worst. She ate, he ate, and just like you said, here we are today as a result. Yeah, That's true. Boy, I never thought about it that way. But that, what are the implications when you understand that that really is how it went down? Well, I, I tell you, the implications are we've got to nail down exactly what the Word says and don't detract. Yeah. Don't get away from the fundamentals of the faith. What's the very first thing? that came out of the crafty crafty serpent's mouth. Did God really say? Yes. That's what we're seeing today. It's from what should be Bible-believing pulpits, we're seeing the same thing. We are seeing the same thing. Do you think enough Christians are on to that and noticing what's going on and discerning what's going on? I really don't. And if if I had one encouragement for people who are listening today, this would just simplify so many things. There's a really big word, and I think it is the major upstream issue in Christianity. Here it is, inerrancy. Is the Bible 100% God's word, yes or no? If people would simply ask their pastors and their churches just yes or no, this isn't a long conversation. Is the Bible inerrant? Is it 100% true, reliable, like your uh, webpage says, it's not evolving. Come on, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Just if they would ask people and their pastors that question, the minute a pastor says, well, that's your answer. Yeah. And run yeah. out and go find the Bible-believing church. <laughs> I love that. It just gets it right down to the truth, which is if you have anybody who is there in your pulpit who's hedging on whether or not the Scripture is inerrant, run. I I tell people that, and people think that's kind of mean sometimes. Boy, you know, you really need to be more tolerant. I'm saying, no, we're way too tolerant. This is why we are where we are. We've been so tolerant that we've tolerated error. That's exactly what Jesus was rebuking the churches for in Revelation. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And if I could share one thing, I I am so glad my brother-in-law who's a Bible-believing Christian, I'm so glad he loved me enough to offend me 30 years ago. The gospel is is precious, but for somebody who doesn't want to hear it like me, it was offensive. But he loved me enough to not say, you know, George, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. He's saying, George, you got a big problem with sin. Incredible. I want to pick this up on the other side of the break. George Shamblin with us. His book is called The Relay. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today.
Dan Steiner here with Freeborn Ministries, and this is my personal invitation for you to join my wife Valerie and I on December 13th for Celebrate Life, a live Christmas online benefit for unborn children. Many of you have supported and saved the lives of preborn babies through this radio session. This is an opportunity, friend, for you to see a preborn center in action for you to see moms and babies who have chosen life, to meet some of the directors. We're going to have Matthew West to hear Christmas music from Matthew. An opportunity for you to do a watch party in your home, bring your friends together, and celebrate life that has been saved as a result of your generosity. And friends, on this broadcast, we're going to have a live ultrasound as well for you to see like many of you have supported. So please join us on December 13th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time at preborn.com preborn.com on December 13th for Celebrate Life, a live Christmas online benefit for preborn babies. If you could provide God's word to a Bible-less believer elsewhere in the world, would you? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send that Bible today. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those in great need, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere is found lacking, we're encouraged to help provide it. These believers live where churches are small and remote, where authorities aren't welcoming of Christianity, and where Bibles are scarce. As Pastor Carlo in Peru says, they need the hope found only in God's word. Everyone wants to read the Bible. But what happens, there are a few copies here in the area. Many of them will uh, be sharing the single Bible. For only $5, believers around the world will receive Bibles and be discipled in their new faith. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us George Shamblin. He is the author of The Relay, Passing Along Your Faith in the Race to Save Christianity from Extinction. He's also a pastor with the Center for Executive Leadership. George, we were talking about the importance of passing that baton down, and it goes all the way back to Adam, that we need to continue to share the faith and be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so the faith will continue. That's our mission as Christians, obviously, in the Great Commission. You were talking about your own experience a little bit with your brother-in-law. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that that really resonates when people say, hey, what happened in your life that somebody passed on the gospel to you and you became a Christian? Of course. we. My family grew up going to a church. We never heard the gospel. And all of a sudden, my sister started dating a guy that said Jesus in public. We thought that was so weird. <laughs> he would quote scripture and we would get angry and, and we would say, you're judging us. And he had never said a word. We were self condemned. I mean, he, you know, had not said anything at that point. And he just lovingly and gently started telling me how big my sin problem was. But God's grace was a whole lot bigger, that I couldn't do this on my own, that I would always fall short, that I had to trust the Lord Christ. And and I tell you, it was offensive. But God used the power of the message to get through a hard heart and completely changed my life. So I'm telling you, I'm thankful my brother-in-law loved me enough to say, George, I got to tell you, you got to 
sin issue, but there's a wonderful cure in Christ Jesus. That is so neat. That is so neat. But that's exactly how so many people come to know the Lord because somebody else shared Christ with them. So we're in this moment, though, where we're not seeing this often happening. I've seen some of these stats. I'm sure you've seen these too, George. Millennials, for example, I think it was in a, in a Barnapol of late, talking about sharing your faith with other people and trying to express your religious belief to somebody else is kind of intolerant. It's kind of not acceptable to try to push your religion on other people. And I thought, where have we gone wrong here? How in the world could we see the sharing of the gospel as anything but the greatest news and the greatest thing that we could do as Christians? We are all messed up on this score. We really are. And and I'll tell you something I've done. This is probably the neatest experience of, of my ministry. I started telling men kind of as a result of this book, I said, y'all, we've got to actually jump in the arena as a little kid, we would get, uh, we'd watch wrestling and, you know, the wrestler would be hung up on the ropes. But at some point, you had to jump in the arena. I said, guys, we're going to start a not so secret fraternity. I'm going to give us a pledge pin that's a little sword that reminds us of the sword of the spirit. You got to get off the ropes in the arena. And we lovingly said, don't come back next week unless you share the gospel with somebody else. Mm. It has been the sweetest experience. Now, every single day, I'm getting other uh, women's groups and dear friends of mine that are sending a text saying, guess what? And I'll say, come on, tell me, tell me. But I say, George, I got off the ropes. It's that accountability, enough already with training, enough already with us taking in more truths. We got to give it back out. It's selfish for us not to give the gospel that changed our lives back out so that others' lives can be changed. And I've gone to preaching, but seriously, we've got to be verbal and vocal and loving with the gospel. We do. That's so neat. I love hearing that. That's exactly what we need. You know, what also reminds me of is another biblical figure you highlight in your book, one of my favorites, which is Josiah. And I love, love that that passage in Second in Kings, I believe is Second Chronicles 34, I think, is what we're talking about. But where the book of the law is found hey, look, it's the word of the Lord. Maybe we should stop committing idolatry. Maybe we should remove all these idols from the territory belonging to the Israelites. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of somebody like Josiah in keeping the faith from going extinct? Of course I can. So it's almost like a a bad joke, but it's not a joke. You've got a scribe, you've got a high priest and a king. And it says, if we kind of look literally it doesn't say, they're not saying we found a, uh, the Torah. It says we found a Torah. They don't even know what it is. They're looking at a book saying, we don't even know what this is. That's because the, their predecessors, those that came before them, did not pass off the scriptures and the word. They had to rediscover it again. Yeah. For people out there to think that could never happen in this country, oh, it certainly could, and The best thing we can do is make people aware this is what the Word says. Like Josiah, a whole nation turned around because of one person getting back to the Word of God. It's an incredible passage, and a couple of passages, actually. People need to go back and read those accounts, because it's such a change, too, from where Israel was during that period of time. All of a sudden, you know, uh, this man comes along. Oh, wait, wait, what does this say here? Wait a minute, we need to make changes. I mean, it seems in many ways that's 
a little bit similar to where we are. We have Bibles all over the place. Many of us have probably 10, 15 Bibles in various forms. And yet, why isn't our country any different? It ought to be completely different based on the fact that we have all these Bibles, right? It really should. I I refer to that as gospel inoculation. Hmm. It's almost like we get a little bit of the gospel and, and we fool ourselves into thinking that I'm okay, but we become immune to being completely consumed by the gospel, and that's dangerous. I tell you, I could not agree with you more. We take it for granted, and we really shouldn't. Um, we, We just cannot take the Word of God that we can freely read for granted at all. Amen. When you look at some of the disciples, um, you mentioned John, you mentioned Peter, you mentioned Paul, when you talk about some of the New Testament figures, these apostles who did so much to start the early church and and really, you know, were the ones who got it all going. What do you learn from what they did about baton passing? Well, I can tell you, Erwin Lutzer, you had him on, and he was talking about proclaiming Christ in a hostile world, and I loved it. He went, and you went to Acts chapter 4, and in that setting, you had in cities seething with rage, and you had distortion and misinformation, and Christianity was getting shot down at every turn, and yet Peter and John said, we cannot stop speaking actually speaking what we have seen and what we've heard. That's today. In the midst of all that, the faith can grow, it will grow, but we've got to be out there sharing and encouraging uh, and be used of the Lord to that end. Oh, amen. I love that passage. I'm glad you heard that because that is one of my favorite passages. It keeps me going. I think that's the frustration that so many of us feel that at a time when we wish the church were different, we wish the church would experience revival and reformation. We wish that the church would be bolder. We have to go back and say, but it's happened before. And we have had all of these people whose shoulders we stand on as Christians today who were bold in the midst of worse times than we're living through right now, that actually gives us hope. Do you feel that way when you're going through some of these testimonies that this helps you run your race to see how these people ran their race? It, It really does. And once we start kind of getting in that arena like the early church did, they start getting in the arena, sharing the faith. Really exciting things happen. I promise, I think people would be shocked right now how open the window is for people that are receptive to listening to the gospel. This whole secret fraternity, secret sorority, not so secret, we all get together and say, wow, I can't believe I shared the gospel with somebody who's not a Christian, and they hugged me. They hugged tears in their eyes. They, you know, read a Bible that I gave them. People are really open to hearing, but they can't hear if we're muted, you know? Yeah. We've got to be speaking truth. Yeah, you're right about that. We And you never know exactly. Anytime you have an opportunity, if you're sitting on an airplane or if you happen to be running into somebody in a grocery store, you never know the opportunities that the Lord can open up for you just to give somebody some hope. I mean, and that's that's really indicative of where we are now. There are a lot of people who are really hopeless, especially after a year like 2020. It is so true. And I'm so glad you just shared that. A doctor here is trying to get off the ropes, and, and he's looking at one of his patients. She had an anchor earring, and he used the reference from Hebrews that Jesus is the anchor of our soul. 
And he used all the uncertainty to ask this lady. He said, how do you know what God's will is for you? And she didn't have an answer. And he used her earring as an example to say, well, I can tell you about an anchor. And that anchor is Jesus Christ. And he can help you stay firm and grounded and then just went on to share the faith. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. I love that. And such a great book. It's called The Relay, Passing Along Your Faith in the Race to Save Christianity from Extinction by George Shamblin, who's been kind enough to join us. So great to have you here, George. We really appreciate your stopping by and wonderful book. Thank you. And please keep standing firm. Such a big fan of you being bold. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, George, thank you. You too. God bless you. We'll be praying for you. You stand strong as well. It's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us on Janet Mefford today. We'll see you next time.